Good afternoon and welcome to the 207th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today I discuss Trump, Biden, and the path ahead with culture and politics writer Virginia Heffernan. Just a reminder, you can catch COVID Calls live every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can also watch COVID Calls on Facebook Live and on Periscope. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics, and please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, January 21st, 2021, there are 2,084,012 deaths from COVID-19 globally, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. There are 24,538,028 cases reported in the United States, and there are 408,011 deaths from COVID-19 reported in the United States today up from 403,952 reported yesterday. As a way to bring some humanity to the numbers, I've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic in some way. And I do hope you got a chance to listen to the Inauguration Day Memorial episode that we had yesterday. I'm gonna continue that now. The headline is Crystal Hardy Flowers, social worker and childcare provider in Sandtown, Winchester, dies of COVID-19 complications. This was written by Jacques Kelly and Hallie Miller. It appeared in the Baltimore Sun on January 4th. Crystal Hardy Flowers, a respected social worker and childcare provider who founded a learning center and preschool in Sandtown, Winchester, died of COVID-19 complications December 31st at Sinai Hospital. The Randallstown resident was 55. Ms. Hardy Flowers was among the first providers in the state of Maryland to apply to stay open during the coronavirus pandemic to offer care for children of essential workers, said Laura Wheeldryer, executive director of the Maryland Family Network. Ms. Hardy Flowers also had chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, a lung disease that can make breathing difficult. Ms. Hardy Flowers feared contracting the disease because of her underlying condition, Ms. Wheeldryer said, but continued working and serving the families until she was, hospital in, she was hospitalized around Christmas time. That's the part that hurts so much. She was there for everyone else, but the one time we wished we could help her, we couldn't, said Janera Key, a close friend whose children have grown up through the center. There was absolutely nothing that lady would not do, and she would never complain. Born in Brooklyn, New York, she was the daughter of Joseph Hardy and his wife, Evelyn, a real estate broker and banker. She graduated from Edward R. Murrow High School and earned a bachelor's degree at Morgan State University and a master's degree in social work from Howard University. Ms. Hardy Flowers was a licensed social worker for many years before she decided to open a school. Friends said that as a social worker, she found that children needed early care and learning skills. Ms. Hardy Flowers founded the Little Flowers Early Childhood and Development Center in 2008 and ran services for children of all ages, including before and after school programs and summer enrichment. 
she integrated her social work background into the center to ensure that no child or parent fell through the cracks, those close to her said. She was one of the most compassionate, talented, and brave childcare providers I know, Margaret Williams said. I met Crystal when I was executive director of Maryland Family Network. The Little Flowers Early Childhood and Development Center was first located in a Baker Street home. It grew, and Ms. Hardy Flowers relocated the center to Fremont Avenue at Cary Street. Ms. Williams also said she expanded her program from several children to almost 200 and eventually earned the highest quality rating in childcare available from the state. She became a statewide advocate for quality, accessible, and affordable childcare while demonstrating that it could be done even in an inner city community where families face many barriers to success. Before going into childcare, Ms. Hardy Flowers was a social worker who led a team of counselors caring for abused children at the Baltimore Child Abuse Center. She's as close to a saint as anyone I know, Ms. Williams said. Linda Cowan Brown said, Crystal was the hardest working person I've known. It was just magical to watch her do a forensic interview. Kids were able to tell her their deep, dark secrets. Kids immediately felt safe around Crystal. In a 2014 Sun article about the center, Ms. Hardy Flowers described how a teacher witnessed children throwing classroom furniture, bookcases, chairs, tables, all were flung around the room. There was also biting, the article said. Ms. Hardy Flowers urged the staff to be patient with the children, who often were like any other preschoolers, dancing to music, playing tea party, and climbing onto a teacher's lap. The article also said the former social worker understood something that her teachers did not. The kids were growing up in Upton, Druid Heights, where police chases are common and sirens wake up kids like unwelcome alarm clocks at night. Almost every day, in some way, the kids were exposed to violence. It's not just bad behavior. It is not just defiance, Ms. Hardy Flowers said in the article. No, it is deeper than that. People just don't pick up chairs and throw them at you. Children don't just run out of the building. Many of these children are left with deep psychological wounds that can trigger physical ailments, the Sun's account said. Studies have piled up showing that in the tangle of tough, intractable issues like poverty and drug addiction, exposure to violence is a major factor damaging children's health. Ms. Wheeldryer of the Maryland Family Network said centers in more affluent parts of the state with wealthier clients might offer similar services, but Hardy Flowers' keen business acumen meant she never had to turn a parent away, Ms. Wheeldryer said. I don't think anybody thinks high-quality care would be synonymous with an old closed school built in Sandtown, Winchester, she said, but they worked with what they had. Courtney Miller, a mother of four and a little Flowers parent, said Ms. Hardy Flowers always helped her find ways to fill in the gaps when money was tight. I've gone through so much with her, and the one thing she never did was turn her back on me, said Ms. Miller, a city resident. A lot of people turn their backs on and don't want to be bothered with the neighborhood because that's where she was needed most. A lot of people turn their backs on and don't want to be bothered with a neighborhood that is considered urban or not great. She wasn't scared to be around none of it. She went right into that neighborhood because that's where she was needed most, Ms. Miller said. Crystal was just really extraordinary and very dynamic and was outstanding in her ability to connect with families and to really listen to what they needed beyond childcare, said Nancy Pelton, director of the Baltimore City Child Care Resource Center. This is a very significant loss. Maryland State Department of Education released a statement Monday night 
saying, MSDE is heartbroken to learn of this tragic loss within our early childhood education community. As our childhood, as our early childhood educators and child care providers have been working on the front line throughout the pandemic, Dr. Karen Salmon had requested that MDH prioritize vaccines for those professionals along with teachers and school staff in the tier for essential workers. Survivors include Ms. Hardy Flowers' daughters, Ashley Flowers and Jasmine Hardy of Baltimore, her mother, Evelyn Hardy of Randallstown, two brothers, Joseph Hardy Jr. of Pennsylvania and Raymond Hardy of Glen Burnie, a sister, Anita Hardy of Columbia, South Carolina, and a grandson. Okay, we're going to turn to our discussion for today, and let me introduce my guest, Virginia Heffernan. Virginia is an accomplished journalist and cultural critic, a regular contributor to the New York Times, as well as the Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, Politico, and other outlets. She writes a regular column for Wired Magazine and the LA Times, and is the co-host of the Trump cast on Slate. She's also the author of Magic and Loss, the Internet as Art, which appeared in 2016 with Simon and & Schuster, and this is her second visit to COVID Calls. Virginia, it's great to see you again. Thanks for coming back. Scott, thank you very much for having me. You know, while you're reading that um, about Crystal Hardy Knowles, um, uh, sorry, Hardy uh, Flowers, I was thinking that, um, oh, maybe someday uh, they'll do as they do on 9-11 in New York, a reading of kind of portraits in grief of all the people. And then it occurred to me, those are the deaths in 9-11 that are, uh, so few, almost vanishingly small compared to the numbers who have died of COVID. Uh, you couldn't do it. You'd, you know, you'd need, you'd need weeks to read them aloud. Uh, that has a, something like that had occurred to me back in November. And I even thought, wouldn't it be interesting if, because there's a lot of people doing kind of podcasts and, and discussions around Memorial right now. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if, if we did read the names? Mm -hmm. And I kind of started to work, and this was just back in November. I started to work out the logistics of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do it, but it would be an enormous undertaking. Like just one of those mar marathon readings of Ulysses. And while you were reading it, you, there'd be more names to add at the end. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's astonishing. And we'll have to figure out, you know, it'd be bigger than the Vietnam Memorial. But every name does deserve to be read, you know. And I, I like that you do those obituaries. Yeah, they're, um, they're, and you've written obituaries, right? Oh yeah, I wrote obituaries for the New York Times um, for a while um, and, and um, sort of uh, in memoriam kind of pieces. Um, I recently saw someone surface that I did for Don Knotts, but Anna Nicole Smith and uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And then the most terrifying one that I did was about Leonard Nimoy, because you do not want to let down Trekkies by doing <laughs> one thing wrong. I've never fact-checked something so closely um, as like my tra Vulcan translations of various things. And um, and uh, yeah, those obituaries are interesting because you you enter another person's world, you know, like we just did with the, with this with this mm -hmm. one that you that you read. Um, as you know, my aunt died of COVID, um, uh, she, Peg Laughlin, Margaret Laughlin, and um, she was included on the front page of the New York Times when they could still do, it was in May, when they could, I think when they hit, is that 100,000? Mm. Um, when they could squeeze them in, uh, it might, maybe it was less, but, um, but uh, I learned so much about her 
from the obituaries. The, the Boston Globe did an obituary and I actually connected with the obituary writer because she discovered all kinds of things about my aunt who never would have had a formal obituary written for her, hmm. but that, you know, for the fact that she had died, died of COVID. So um, that was incredibly interesting. And she had worked uh, with polio um, patients way back in the day and uh, had a brother die of pneumonia and um, her father had worked with influenza patients. So there was a lot of connection to pandemics and, and disease in the family, um, but she was 91 and now her sister, who she roomed with in her nursing home, hmm. who's 95, has it. Um, but she older sister, but she's recovering. Okay. So, who knows? Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm really sorry for the loss of your aunt. And thank you. It's um it's really something to discover things about family that you yeah. didn't, that you didn't know, but to and to discover them in that way, in such a public way. What, yeah. what was your reaction to that? Well, I, um, I I sort of tease my father. Believe it or not, he can handle it. But um, because he's always said, um, you know, about Peg that um, that she'd done physical therapy and that she, yeah, I hope no one's listening in the family, but she didn't marry well. They're an old Catholic family, and um, and so those were the two things I knew about her. And I found out about her her whole life, her watercolors, her gardening, her. Um, her work with polio, with polio patients, um, fearless work with polio patients, uh, her travel to Tulsa to do that from Boston. Um, and, um, and I've been teasing my dad because I've been saying, you'll never get a Boston Globe uh, obituary. And, you know, and she's a hero. And her obituary writer, who's a reporter for the for the Boston Globe, just thought she was extraordinary, you know, beautiful pictures of her and, you know, just a way of kind of lifting up um, mm -hmm. people that aren't ordinary. In fact, they're extraordinary, like the obit you just read. Right. Um, yeah. I've wanted to uh, do a, a episode, I hope I'll get a chance to, with some of the writers of of obituaries because I worked for a while at the at the New York Times. I was on the Metro desk on this while I was writing my dissertation. I worked wow. on Saturday nights on the Metro desk. My job oh. was mostly to chase down Metro reporters uh, from the rewrite desk. But one thing we we would do is the the obituaries would, you know, I had some interaction with that, and yeah, I had no idea. I never. And if they're related to Metro, then yeah, yeah of course. You I are. had never thought of it before, but of course as you pointed out the if someone is getting a little older and they're really significant in culture and politics whatever it's pre-written or parts of it are pre-written yeah that's right yeah that absolutely blew my mind i would had never thought of that before until i talked with you know until they said oh go pull this one and i think it was for a president um and so that also made me think a lot about the writing that is happening with these obituaries right now. Yeah. These are written right. in the where moment. There's, where there's no paper trail for the, there's no paper trail for the COVID, COVID, uh, COVID dead usually in their lives. I mean, as there's no paper trail for most of us and you're putting together mostly w in contact with the family, but uh, you know, uh, uh, you're looking through, uh, you know, documents that of their birth certificates or, um, whatever pictures, whatever else you can, you can put together. 
And um, and just, I don't know, the New York Times actually, Susan Dominus, my friend, I don't know if you know her at the New York Times, put together uh, right around Christmas, um, a piece about something like, I don't know, maybe seven families that were plant, had, had Thanksgiving without their relative. Um, and now we're planning Christmas. So basically they shot their Thanksgivings and then talked about their preparations for Christmas. So mm -hmm. that's why they had these beautiful pictures that have mm -hmm. been taken at a distance. Um, and they pulled the names out of a hat, which is really the way to go because you, um, I don't know. She said, you know, you 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 weren't cho choosing people who were heroes or, you know, right. and, and incidentally, one of the great things was not all the families said, you know, the person was an angel. If there was a saint in heaven, this would be the person. Uh, Susan's favorite one, the last person in it, we could put a link up. The last person in it said, um, you know, I never really understood my father. And she said, I don't know why you would want to write about our family. You know, he was very aloof and he came to stay with that at the end. But you know, come to think of it, we had this moment in the kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. and if you hadn't been asked to describe that all because it was occasioned by this disaster, right. then she never would have found this moment. You know, she would have said he's not worthy of writing an obituary about and suddenly he kind of was, you know, and um, she still didn't. She still was unwilling in this very honest way to say that she you know, really missed him or understood him. But she had had this this moment. Um, and then lots of other people that, you know, like the woman you just read about had had extraordinary lives of service um, and that you just could not believe and setting up in trailer homes and small apartments and what, you know, what right. they were going to do with, with Christmas. It was, it was really, really impressive. Well, uh, I want to, um, we got talking already. I, I usually would ask people where they're calling from and how the pandemic is, is there. Can you give us just a brief uh, take on that? So I think the last time we talked, I was at my apartment in Brooklyn. And since then, um, like a lot of people, we we acquired like very suddenly um, a, a plague bunker where I am right now. Okay. I don't know if you can see, I'm almost like trying to make it clear, but it's a 1781 tavern. It's, it's on the, oh. um, very, very low, low ceilings. Yeah. Like a tavern. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and we did, we tell ourselves George Washington drank here because I think did. everyone with a tavern tells <laughs> himself that. Um, it's just a great, it's a great place in, in, uh, in, near Rosendale, near Kingston. And, um, and, uh, you know, when the kids don't have to be in school, they're in school remotely. You have, you know, all kinds of room to move sure. around. And that's been interesting. Um, and my my uh, partner's in construction and con and contracting, and he's found a lot of work to do up here for refugees from the coronavirus. I imagine how how is it there? Is there the schools are open some of the time or not at all? Yeah, they are doing um, a hybrid, and and uh, actually, my daughter's in a kind of hybrid system, um, which may, takes us back to the city. She's in in person class very rarely, but um, I haven't kept up much with the schools around here because we're really like feeling bunkered. Um, uh, we have a fire pit, so we have friends over, and fire pits like fireworks last night are one of the few things you can actually maintain the six foot distance, you know? <laughs> so, and also, by the way, masks in a, in a smoky fire pit aren't the worst thing. Yeah. Perfect. So you get a lot of um, bang for your buck. So we have like these very long um, s'more 
uh, sticks, you know, marshmallow right. sticks and very long hot dog sticks. Yeah. And we just break open the same thing, you know, virtually every week and have, have just neighbors are over. Um, and, uh, nice. and that's been really fun. So, you know, so much the inauguration, yeah. there was so much, and I don't, you know, there are no upsides to this thing, but the way people have adapted um, in the, uh, that you could see, you know, like fireworks, they're surprising, they're so glamorous, and yet they're anti-elitist, and they can be enjoyed at such a far distance, you know, and they're so, it's so exciting, you know, yeah. With that, that um, I, I hope everyone saw the Lady Gaga performance um with the with the fireworks um and um and uh and Kamala Harris and her husband Doug Emhoff on one set of steps and Joe and Jill Biden on another it's so I don't know I mean I was just like man fireworks that's like that's way better than a black tie ball it's uh it's amazing to that I hadn't thought about these like socially distant but like meaning socially meaningful things we've adapted to some of them we might have sort of thought we didn't care about as much anymore i was thinking even back in the spring in new york people banging on pots and pans every day yeah uh, for, yeah for the first responders yeah. yeah yeah and i and i think you know there's an element of that which is the tribute to the first responders but i also get a sense of talking to some people who did that that it just felt damn good to be yeah. making noise with people yeah you know? we, were, we were on the Hudson um, in, a, in, a, in, in like a public boat that they have where you can just try, you know, sail around a little bit and saw on the shores. This was the day the Biden victory was announced. There's just a little kid out there with a French horn because <laughs> why not? You know, Absolutely. music and light. Right. Yeah. They carry. You don't yeah. need to be crushed up. And in fact, you should be at some distance from a fire or from a performer. Um, and just understanding what can happen with the six, the six foot interval, you know, or farther, like, what is that? You know, at first I was like, it's too close for ping pong, but maybe you could play. It's too far for paper, scissors, rock. You know, <laughs> yeah. What happens at six feet? But we're sort of beginning to figure out what yeah. can happen. Yeah. Well, what, let's talk about the speech yesterday, the yeah. inaugural address. Uh, you are very, uh, always attuned to language. And there's the stagecraft and everything, which also had to be adapted to the pandemic, thankfully, yeah. um, and to the green zone, which was Washington, which is Washington D.C. right now. So, mm -hmm. what's on your mind now that you've had a day to to think about that speech? Think about it. I mean, I I was worried going in, um, and other people have warned about this that uh, you know, and I'm sure in your field, there's a lot of talk about trauma, and you know, I don't know. I don't know much about the trauma rubric, either in mental health or in um, in uh, in sort of thinking about generations and and um, epigenetics. But it does seem like there's bound to be some effects of just the the number of insults to the body, the brain, psyche, spirit, soul from the last four years. You know. And um, I was worried, and some of my colleagues at, at, in journalism were personally worried. So, like off off the mic, worried that they would um, have they would stay numb, 
or that they'd be sort of overwhelmed with emotions, you know, the way they say, like, until the cavalry is coming, you know, if you're tor being tortured or if you're in great pain, it's or in your, you're in an abusive household, until you know the social work's coming, till you know that the, you know, FBI is coming, you can't let yourself kind of cry. Um, and, um, and so some people were preparing for like a great catharsis. And then others, a very close friend was worried she'd be numb. And so, uh, and not ready to feel it, you know, not ready to let her guard down. So I was really curious, you know, where I would be. And I wanted to be sort of open to all an expert in trauma was saying, you know, the physical symptoms might kick in later, you know, you never know. And it was, it's really a time to attend to your body, you know, which is a real, real, you know, we're in a storm of deadly microbes. <laughs> we're yeah. trying to figure out, uh, you know, we're inside a lot. Um, and we're trying to, you know, we're picking up on sensations in our throats that we've never been, uh, been totally. you know, sensitive before. We're trying to, you know, establish this herd immunity in all of our bodies, which is an interesting task for the collective body. Mm -hmm. So with that sensitivity of the body, I wondered what kind of pain might kick in. Now I'll say, and I'm curious for listeners and you, um, that I actually experienced moments of just euphoria. Mm -hmm. Just, I wanted to talk to the, to the me of two years ago, just all the times it's just been so demoralizing, just incomprehensibly demoralizing to see Trump not get, you know, convicted in the Senate or, you know, the pardons and just each one, you know, sometimes I'll just flash to Eddie Gallagher, the war criminal or or uh, death camp Joe Arpaio, who started death camps. Or you think about the families that have been separated or the, even the children that have died in camps. And it just and then, of course, up to the you know, Trump promoting bleach for the virus. And um, and all those things are like these terrible flashbacks and that at each time you were just getting hit in the head. And so I tried to talk to the me that, you know, learned that Mitch McConnell and the Senate was not gonna, not gonna indict um, or not even have a, a real trial. And think of all the times that I just thought, I can't believe he's gonna skate or I can't believe this person's who had a discrimination lawsuit in 1973 and grabbed a woman, you know, in her crotch in early, in the early eighties. And that, you know, that it's been five decades of this. Um, and we all knew, everybody knew, you know? And anyway, so with those insults in mind, I tried to talk to the me that was bearing those insults and the me that had the boot off my, our collective throat. Yeah. And she was happy, you know? Yeah. And like, I actually felt like I was in some new kind of Nikes that made it so that I was actually walking on air. You know, <laughs> I like looked down at my little slippers <laughs> and thought, are these even more comfortable than I thought they were? Um, so they were really, and I saw Joy Reid on TV, barely able to repress a smile. Yeah, you know, She just couldn't do it. You know, like for me, it was like watching my son at his bar mitzvah, just times of uh, overwhelming pride, joy, confidence in America, you know, yeah. So, so that's where that was. I mean, and then it's back to business, but there's still a little just like thing we can treasure.
you know? How did you feel? I, well, first, I mean, that's an amazing description. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I felt um, a lot of competing things happening at the same time. One, which you just, you really encapsulated nicely, that how can an, an inauguration, how can this a process like this yeah. in some way be any kind of a break? You know, because there's Trump, but then there's Trumpism and everything that goes yeah. along mm -hmm. with it and the enabling. And some of those enablers were right up there on that on that stage, on that mm -hmm. days. And, and so it was hard for me, you know, I thought going into this, I'm like, this is going to be almost in some ways, it can just be a continuation. If, mm -hmm. if it's an inauguration without some something else, some mm -hmm. justice. So I, I was worried about that part of it, thinking about that. But I watched it. Um, with my oldest son who, um, who uh, you know, he's home because school is hybrid these days. And, and uh, he was just really excited to watch it. Mm -hmm. And that really just kind of, uh, I put all that other stuff aside and just tried to enjoy the moment and tried to be right there with the moment. And, uh, and when they introduced the fire captain who came out and did the pledge. Yeah. Amazing. You know, I'm a hard, you know, I'm a hard ass liberal. The Pledge of Allegiance. Come on. I can tell yeah. you all about the anti-communist stuff about that. And I couldn't, I just lost it. Yeah. I was yeah. just like, I mean, this is these, these very pedestrian, these symbols matter and they, and they matter. And if you're a person like you, I think like you are that um, maybe we should be more jaded about these things and, and really cynical about these things. And I, I'm just not, I think it yeah. matters. Yeah. I mean, it, there was an element of, um, of Gettysburg, I think in the address, not in, it, you got like, you know, I'm so happy. We should be so happy that he didn't actually borrow from that speech, but more in the con sense of reconsecration, you know, and that the, they, they use that word. This was desecrated in the Capitol attack mm -hmm. and that those symbols that, you know, the flag is, doesn't belong to Republicans. I mean, I was happy not right. to see those bullseye primary red and blue of the American flag, not so much up there on stage because there were so many of those beautiful ochres and bright yellows on the mm -hmm. coats, purple. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but, you know, there were just ways of reconceiving of this. You know, someone was saying there weren't, wasn't a ball for donors there was a, you know, expansive and national sea to shining sea via the internet. You know, the internet right. is flawed, but it is not right now. It is all we have. And it's become, we've humanized it even more with our, you know, during this. And that was just, you know, throwing to Austin, Austin city limits. Come on. You know, yeah. that was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, my mother said, my mother's like you, she, <clears throat> she doesn't even like, you know, the national anthem bores her. And she, you know, <laughs> um, and she said, uh, do you know this person, Lady Gaga? You know, <laughs> my mother's 84, got the vaccine, by the way, the first dose this morning. Oh, great. And, uh, that's good news. She's, she's, um, she was just overwhelmed. And that it's, that's what it took. You know, it's like, there's something, there was something up there you know, Kamala Harris's little joy at being sworn in or just tiny moments. I mean, you probably have seen 
everyone with this Bernie meme. Yeah. You know, which is like Bernie Sanders. You've seen it? Yeah, I love it. It's so good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in his mittens and in his yeah. little mask sitting like unhappy, but yeah. barely there, you know, and, uh, and, you know, dropped into all these settings. And I loved that too. And one person said, God, it's so good that we can just get back to bullshit. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just like when we're happy, we, we uh, laugh, you know, and Trump hasn't laughed. Trump doesn't laugh. Physiologically doesn't laugh. And, you know, Kamala Harris does, Biden does, Obama does, Michelle Obama does, Hillary does. Like you can just think of all of them with their heads thrown back um, in laughter. And, you know, it's just nice to see, it's nice to see those faces modeling for us, you know, kind of, kind of joy and, you know, love. Um, but I also think, you know, one, one slightly more um, pointed thing is, a uh, former Republican, never Trumper friend of mine, Windsor man, um, said to me on election day, or and and after the announcement, man, you Democrats need to know how to win, you know, okay. and spike the football. And so I thought I need to be like a soccer hooligan for a day and just <laughs> kind of like a dick, you know, and just be like, we won, you know, <laughs> Trump. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, I guess that was the, you know, having Dave Grohl and Bon Jovi and the boss on one program. That's kind of our version of that, right? That's our like, version, yeah. And like there the was boss the is not going to perform, you there know, and Gaga. Really, yeah. There was a hyper manly moment with her. I can't remember what she was saying, but she just punched the line yeah. really hard. Yeah. And, um, Plus yeah. that gold mic. I mean, yes. I mean there was some... Exactly. There was, there was some football spiking. It's it's true. We don't do it maybe in the same way, but there was there was some of that. But then you know that quick pivot. The other part by the afternoon, where they showed Biden and he had the stack of executive orders. That was a different set of emotions, and I wonder Absolutely. how you felt about that. I just felt like okay, now I I can get back to work. That is, I mean, what you said about. Well, if Biden's just there glad handing with Mitch McConnell and it goes back to business as usual, um, that's not going to work. But, you know, I was thinking of an icon for Biden's um, first hundred days and it's like the undo symbol on Google Docs. Because live by fiat, die by fiat. Do live by executive order, die yeah. by executive order. Totally. There's a great list uh, for your listeners in Politico of what Trump actually did that we didn't notice. And I warn you, there's some good things, which was very strange. Mm -hmm. Just by accident, backed into making it easier to pursue money launderers, strengthening Obamacare by accident. Um, but also, if you like something about medical software has been vastly improved. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, all the bad things, which are, you know, I mean, the the moves he made on the environment are terrifying, you know, down to just in crazy details that I had no idea about. But a lot of them can be undone. A lot of them can be undone with the strike of a pen. Right. Re-enter the Paris Accords, you know, make a path to citizenship, uh, end the Muslim ban, and all those orders that Biden, that Biden did, which were undoes, you know? And also that I suggest that he didn't have, in spite of the kind of blowfish effect of Trumpism, he didn't have legislative support. He didn't even have popular support for his silly repeal and replace or build a wall or hang her, you know, lock her up. 
those and, and the executive orders could just be undone with a pen because who was out there, even among the capital terrorists, saying, we got to keep the Muslim ban. One thing I want is the Muslim ban. Right. Everybody had forgotten about whatever policy they pretended to be interested in. Um, and uh, and so seeing that undone, you're right. That just kicks it off um, on a happy note or on a on a, you know, on a um, assertive note, you know. Do you think then, though, that I mean, I, I want to sort of get you to say a little more about what you think about Trumpism. Uh, you've been thinking about and talking about this constantly now for for years for the whole administration. And we should talk about about the Trump cast and, and some of your um, you know, headlines coming out of that and what's coming next with that. We'll get to that. But I but I do want to know, I mean, because that does strike me the way you characterize that, you know, so many things that were done by executive order, even some things you might call achievements, which he would didn't think to take pride in or maybe he wasn't even aware it happened. He just signed the paper. But but it's interesting because so by legislative measure, I've got to agree with you. I mean, whatever was on his agenda, he failed at most of it. But yeah. a lot of what was on his agenda wasn't legislative in right. the first place. It was it was cultural. It was it was aggressive. It was things that aren't, aren't captured by legislation. Yeah. And he never trusted Congress anyway. Most of what he wanted to accomplish probably would never would have been accomplished in the Capitol building. He thought it would be accomplished um, on the deck of a battleship somewhere, maybe, or in the Rose Garden, or or on his Twitter account. So yeah, this guy I wonder somehow. He's so not, what is the what is the legacy going to be? Well, you know, it's very close to, in time, but what's your first pass at that? Um, for some reason, and I've been doing I've been doing uh, I've been doing Morning Joe sometimes lately, which is which is like a lot of fun. And um, and I, you know, I think I connected sort of with with Joe, Joe Scarborough about. Um, I don't think it's I I don't think it's I think it's crumbled, uh, crumbled and you know crumbling and. I think we will not, in six months, the way to test it is give a quiz to Trump voters and say, "What's Baris explain what Burisma is, explain what the Dominion voting machines are, you know, explain who the DA in Philadelphia was and why, why he represents a problem. Um, explain what the lizard people are, explain what hydroxychloroquine is and you know these so i uh you know there's some books that i just kind of read in graduate school and fell for for all time so i don't even know maybe thomas kuhn is canceled by now but if he is don't tell me because the uh, structure of scientific revolutions in which kuhn outlined what a paradigm shift is is you know one of those books for me and um you know let's just think for a second about um the paradigm at work in Trumpism and how it might fall apart. So one of the great parts of that Kuhn book is that, you know, the the kind of signature paradigm shift is the one between Ptolemy's, you know, uh, geocentric universe right. and, and Copernicus's heliocentric universe. What Kuhn points out is that the 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 Earth at the center, the geocentric universe, his model could still explain all the phenomena of the night sky. It was just very, very wordy. 
you know, it was like harvests and the Pleiades and whatever. Yeah. And it had to make sense of all these contradictions. Yeah. And the reason your mind slipped to Copernicus was not, at least in, in Kuhn's telling, was not that it was just manifestly true or that you went and ver verified it with telescopes. It was just a more elegant solution to all these problems. And when something becomes inelegant, you know, groaning under all these little notes and things. Like I think of Bannon's notes about what, what needed to happen to enact this cultural shift that he was imagining. And it was just so extensive and crazy and full of contradictions. And then Trumpism, which, which starts with build a wall, mm -hmm. grounds out in this QAnon fantasy of lizard people that Tom Hanks eats children that um that uh you know JFK Jr is coming back from the dead even that Biden might be Trump in a mask I don't know if you saw that oh, I missed that one yeah oh. Biden and Trump have traded traded oh. places that's and the Scooby Doo version I guess that's the Scooby Doo version although by the way I like that one go ahead like wish for the demise of the person in the Biden mask. I mean, sorry, wish for the success of the person in the Biden mask yeah, sure. the with the Trump face. Let's let <laughs> him. And we can all agree that the person who looks like Trump, you know, is, is, yeah. is, is uh, you know, is if you want, he's the good guy. Uh, he's the, sorry, he's the bad guy. Sure. And the Biden face is the good guy. And you can call the Biden face, whatever you want. Anyway, so, you know, when things get to that point, you sound like yeah. you know, a nattering lunatic, but you also are making a case that is not like uh, you. we were talking about your parents. It doesn't happen in simple, arresting monosyllables. It's really hard to follow. Mm -hmm. And let me give you let me give you one more mm -hmm. example of this. You probably saw Luke Mogelson's incredible piece of reporting on what happened in the Capitol um that day and uh the day of the terrorist attack and they what he what he noted and he didn't make a lot of this but there are three examples where the insurgents just had no idea what they believed you know no idea of strategy tactics ideology just no idea they were <laughs> the beginning when they looked at Cr tom cruise I mean, ted cruise's desk and rifling through things and one of them said you know, something like Ted Cruz is a rhino, and of course he let us down. And if someone reads it out loud, Tom, you know, Ted, Ted, uh, Ted Cruz wants to reject um, the uh, votes or question the votes in Arizona. And they are like, look at him, a total rock. Wait a second, he's on our side, let's go. And it was like that from then on, there was another time they're taking pictures down from a church and one of them reads like a little passage from the Bible on the church. Yeah. Taking a picture of Breonna Taylor down, fine. Reading a passage from the Bible. Wait, we're Christians. Yeah, this we can't do that. Christian, right? And and finally, of course, do I thought we hated, I thought we loved cops, or do we hate cops? Do we crush yeah, right. them? Do we not? And you know, when you get to that point, leaving morality out of it, even leaving truth out of it, when it just takes that much energy, psychic cognitive energy to hold on to what the mm -hmm. fuck you're doing, yeah. you're 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 not in a great place for an ideology. And you uh, you probably saw the Proud Boys and QAnon have given up on Trump. It goes like this. They said today he's a loser. He's a total loser on their on their message boards. And Q, QAnon people said, look at that. No, no Q, 
you know, no miracle, no, no nothing. So it's it's live by the grift, die by the grift in the end, as you see it then with Trump. I mean, I was trying to explain to one of my kids today, uh, we got into this, um, uh, we were driving, so I guess he had to listen to me. He didn't have a choice. Anyway, I subjected him to sort of my history of Donald Trump. Yeah. And as I told it, I was surprising myself. He was a made-up businessman who became a made-up businessman on TV who became a made-up president. But the whole yeah. thing was a grift. Yeah. I just don't yeah. see much more there. I mean, so I'm not surprised that yeah. Q and Proud Boys and others, there's a parasite host relationship there. And, and he's not that interesting anymore. He's not that, right. He can't be fed off anymore in that same way. I mean, I, I think I might see it a little differently. Um, I just tried in a column in the LA Times to talk a little bit about um, whether Trump himself and Trumpism had adaptive or counteradaptive features. Because my fear all along, leaving righteousness out of it, is justice adaptive for the species, right? Because we've been thinking about this so much with pandemics. And, um, or is it is is it counteradaptive? Is the way to go, leaving morality out of it, just as an animal, to rally around your tribe, your race, you know, reject all, uh, build barriers to the acquisition of resources for other races mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, rape and pillage where possible. Um, and it, in that case, is the greediest, like, does the race go to the greediest? Does yeah. the race go to the solipsist, you know, who can barely see anything outside himself except for people with his own name? Um, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you where, and it's probably the last time, last time we talked, I'll tell you where I thought this is counteradaptive. Making masks political. Right. What a crazy thing to do. What a, what a suicidal total decision, yeah. you know? I mean, if they were putting themselves in special bubbles and Trump gave only the red states, these incredible, you know, the new antivirals and that, you know, I thought I might've thought. Oh, this is horrible. Only, you know, this is going to be survival because they've created the, the the Trumpites have created a system where only the Trumpites survive. Right. You know, the best medicine, the best antivirals, the best protections. You know, what if they had South Korea up there in North Dakota and in, in Oklahoma? Yeah. But no. No. The 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 death That's drive was strong. The death drive was strong. And 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 you know. They, there were examples, people who keep a lot of guns in the home tend to die by gunfire and people who don't wear masks tend to die by COVID, whatever their politics. And somehow they latched politics onto wearing a few square inches of, of cloth on their faces, you know? So let's stay, I want to stay with this a little bit and think about, if, since we're talking legacies here, let's talk about language. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, one of my, uh, grandmother's uh, was called MAGA. Oh, I've never said this on this program. Huh. Uh, I haven't talked about this much, but uh, it's an anger I've carried uh, since 2017 because um, I did, couldn't say her name. Uh, I couldn't say grandma, whatever. It came out MAGA when I was mm -hmm. two years old or whatever. And so she was just MAGA. Yeah. And, and I remember when MAGA first appeared, uh, this the Make America Great Again and the red hats and everything. And I yeah. thought, first of all, I thought this will never fly. I mean, this is not creative at all. It's too simple. 
Mm. I was really wrong about that. And, and I was wrong about MAGA as a, something that people could get behind. And I got very angry too, that they'd taken my grandmother, the thing I called my grandmother and they've yeah. appropriated it to this yeah, yeah, yeah. quasi fascist movement. Uh, so I'm taking back MAGA. I'm gonna Good. say that now. I think there's actually a yoga instructor or something on Instagram who is called MAGA and did the same thing. So you and she standing in solidarity, you know, like, yes. There's a lot of words out there, though, that are, and I, I think presidents, if they're good, and if they're good with language, they take certain phrases, they take certain, you know, turns of phrase and even individual words, and they make them theirs. Yeah, American speech and American political idiom. Trump's done that with some words, although maybe they're not the words most presidents would want to own. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wonder what you think about, you know, his impact on language and even do you use language differently now that you mm. spent so much time talking about and writing about him? I mean, words like wall and great and proud and beautiful and mm -hmm. phrases like enemy of the people. Mm. Which very much in circulation, obviously a word like great, we shouldn't really mm. pause over the use of that word, but I do now when I use it. Interesting, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like like very, like kind of bombastic language, grandiose language, sort of heavy metal attitude um, that is, um, yeah, that, that just has lost its luster. You know, if you ever felt like watching Rocky, you know, or or just getting into some 80s spirit just for fun. Um, it feels, um, you know, yes, it feels perjured and it feels, it just, you know, we should be lucky that it's it's adaptive, that we like lost our, it just, you know, nothing's fun about that anymore. You know, so I've heard some of the rappers who use Trump as a, um, as a byword for just kind of money and power and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and machismo, um, you know, have sort of rolled that back. Um, one of the ways that I saw that happen early on was um, just the name Trump. Um, you know, Mary Trump, the, the the sort of dissenter in the family, the niece who's written um, more than critically about her uncle, said um, that she loves her name, Mary Trump. And that's the first line in the book. And, you know, it is, there is some thumping lyricality to it, you know, trumpet and, you know, thump. And, the, you know, we didn't get anywhere calling him Drumpf or, you know, trying to take away from the from the punch of that name. Um, but what I really didn't like is how we quickly took it on as even Hillary Clinton used love Trump's hate, right? So like repeating, you took it on as some kind of Trump card, you know, which is, I think, Ivanka Trump's book. And um, as if he just had a high card, you know, and that, and also Trump's beat everything. So it's like, it just has this scorched earth idea to it that I feel like we've just said it so many times. You know, I started, I called, uh, I called our, our podcast today, Redacted Cast mm -hmm. yesterday, because I just, I didn't want to, I don't want to say it sometimes, you know, I just don't want to say it. That's just a simple one that I want out of my head. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, <coughs> after Charlottesville, Trump said, you know, I call this group as if he had made it up, Antifa, right? And then he says it again to teach you it, Antifa. It becomes his word. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Antifa is a beautiful European uh, set of ideas. And, 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 um, and I had had Mark Bray on the show, who's an expert on and, and sort of 
hung out with Antifa, many of whom are environmentalists for um, the 10 years prior and sort of thinking about our relation to fascist speech through mm -hmm. Antifa. And you now you hear the FBI say, you know, this is more of a set of ideas than it is like a terrorist group, but Trump made it a terrorist group yeah. right then. Um, and then the other thing is fake news, which was actually a useful idea in 2016 to describe news that looks like news, but isn't like with, you know, I mean, it could be an ad that it pretends to be, you know, kind of in the format of a, uh, of a news story, or it could be, um, it could be some kind of propaganda, or it just could be nonsense to get you to click on something with like, you know, all the framework of a headline mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And that was really useful to talk about the cognitive dissonance of Facebook. But then fake news just became his way of saying news I don't like. And, you know, nobody would want to say fake news now. Um, it sounds like his reality distortion field and you're just in this weird world with him. That's, but that I remember specifically that moment of the fake news being rolled out yeah. as, a, as a concept because it is, it's very useful. And in fact, that's what is the amount of research that's being done by brilliant people like Kate Starbird right now, for example, oh. on disinformation. Um, this is the ecosystem we, we live in. Disaster researchers um, now take that on board. Like mm. we study disasters now, we're gonna have to not just study the disaster, we're gonna have to study the multiple iterations of truth that are swirling around with this disinformation. So he was onto something there and then he just flips it around exactly as you said, he takes a useful concept and just makes it, anytime somebody says something mean about me, Yeah. Fake news, an and, enemy of the people. To have him standing up there mm -hmm. at these rallies and pointing out the press pen and saying, enemy of the people, you just think his pronoun is flipped. Yeah, and he 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 refers to himself, uh, uses the, the people as a proxy for himself lots of times. And the most egregious was when E. Jean Carroll's uh, lawsuit against Trump, the private citizen or the citizen who on his at real Donald Trump private citizen account had defamed her. So it was the the, the title of the case was E. Jean mm -hmm. Carroll versus Donald Trump. And um, Bill Barr made it, you know, versus the United States of America. Just the saddest thing, you know, and like as if, I don't know, as if it was going to be like the people the way they say in court, you know, um, and uh, you know, the, we, the people of the United States of America did not rape E. Jean Carroll um, and right. do not pay taxes to the person that did, you know? And that is, that was incredibly sad. So enemy of Donald Trump, right, became enemy of the people um, and useful words get debased like currency. Remind everyone you're listening to COVID calls. I'm talking to Virginia Heffernan today, and um, I, you've got a piece that just came out. Um, I think it came out yesterday in the LA Times, or maybe it was it was last week about the commission. And I'm just going to read a, a, your idea for a, a January 6th commission. I'm going to read a line from this um, 
you said much has been made of how divided the nation is right now, but it's more accurate to say we're exhausted. COVID-19 has afflicted more than 23 million Americans. Joblessness is double what it was a year ago, but we're exhausted by lies. The American public has paid a high emotional tax as we've witnessed the burial of truth again and again. So yeah. thinking now of concrete steps going forward, um, mm -hmm. one of the ideas that you put on the table is this uh, January 6th commission. I, what would it do? Okay, what, so so like uh, if I can back up to a, per, a personal story from November, um, I was burned in a fire. So we've been lighting a lot of fires here, and um, and I was you know candles and self care kind of things, and I was lighting some birthday candles, and my nightgown, very flammable nightgown, caught on fire, um, and so part of my leg was burned, and just a very weird experience i hadn't suffered like a burn on a, a per significant percentage of my body ever you wrote about that in wired right yes exactly yeah um, and you're okay um i'm okay yeah i the one last patch hasn't hasn't healed but um but yeah. it's much it's it doesn't bother me at all now um but the uh you know if any of your listeners have been burned you know the weird rallying your body's struggling so hard to get back to to homeostasis and um and it was traumatic enough that you know i passed a uh i think this is the the first time i could have touched what a trauma is i passed a actually i watched the simpsons and i saw um some kids some clowns kind of clownishly burning up on the simpsons and i thought this is an amazingly disturbing show that I should never show my kids, you know? And then I was saw a restaurant called Flame and I felt the same feeling. And so a friend named Sarah Burns emailed me and I thought that's so inconsiderate and triggering. Um, and uh, and yet I'm over it. I have, a, I have a candle burning right now and I'm very like, I did aversion therapy. And one of the things I did was call uh, a psychiatrist or call my therapist and ask her, um, you know, what I should do to preempt trauma. And what she had me do was amazing. And I think, I wonder if it's a strategy that could be used in disasters. She had me walk through everything that happened in the finest detail, because I wanted to tell someone that, you know, the wick of the candle had been slightly buried in the wax. And I knew Richard was coming down the stairs whose birthday it was. And I was kind of irritated and I wanted to, and this, that it was outside and the, the candles were going off in the wind. And I wanted to dig under it, you know, the way you sometimes do to flip up the wick yeah. in a birthday candle, you know, and I, I should have blown up the, you know, not had the match lit and I should have picked it out, out myself with my fingers when nothing was lit, but that happened. And then I think the top of the match came off and lit the thing. And I wanted to tell someone that because I wanted to get to the moment of how did this happen? Because it happened so fast. Anyway, she had me walk through it in just excruciating detail and simulated at least interest in every part of it, including uh, Richard, my partner, told me to stop, drop, and roll. I briefly thought, I know the slogan, stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> That's what I yeah. wanted to say to him. And <laughs> then I dropped, I stopped, and I dropped, yeah. and it went out because it was behind me. Or actually, he clobbered me with a, with a thing, and it went out. I had in my head for the whole rest of the day, I never rolled. I never rolled. Mm. The fire was out, but you know, weird. And of course, time yeah. slowed down and all that stuff. Sure. And I went quickly to find Aquaphor and then I got in a really, really cold bath and I could, that's all I felt I wanted to be in. I got blue, like a lot of people, I you know, regulated my temperature 
in a weird way, but Richard carried me and wrapped me up and we survived the day. And what she said is, look at everything you did right. You know, look at every single second that your body and mind were like attuned. Because as long as humans have used fire, they've been burned. Sure. And the, the body with these beautiful blisters, you know, that rose to like cushion, they're supposedly like bubble wrap. They're not bringing fluid so much as this kind of this, this cushion that will allow the skin to heal itself. And I was looking at them, there. these, you know, they're like gaudy, um, you know, so yellow, the, 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 the blisters. Mm. And they look like these gaudy jewels. And I just thought no human could make this, you know? And I, and, and she had me go through, look at all those times that you and Richard had this synced mind about the stop, drop and roll. And some of the communication, yeah was like how to keep the kids from seeing it and traumatizing them. And by going back over it, it, it I felt better. And the way this leads to the, uh, yeah. to the January 6th panel, January 6th commission is what the hell happened mm-hmm. in the Capitol? I just wanna know every single part. And sometimes you can't have justice if you just throw all the people in jail and call it over. I want a Warren Commission or a 9-11 Commission style report that's this long, that nobody reads maybe, but you have it on your shelf and you know that someone has done all the scholarship and the forensics and has all the footnotes and knows who gave the orders and knows who the can tell the Oath Keepers from the Proud Boys, from the Three Percenters, mm-hmm. from Donald Trump himself and knows what a dog whistle sounds like all the way up to did that guy really tase himself in the nuts to die? And was he really stealing a picture yeah. of Tip O'Neill? And you know, what did they? What was some of the dialogue that some of the reporters captured with, you know, the Getty cameraman and the and 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 Luke Mogelson? Um, and I just I, I think that the the healing in sorting out, like they did at Chernobyl, like exactly what went wrong, and how can we? Uh, use an understanding of everything that happened and everything we did right. You know, mm-hmm. we went, the, the Congress went back five hours later yeah. to a place that was was wrecked and desecrated and sacked. All of them went back and did their procedural work. I mean, how crazy, how could you talk people going back into a school after a school shooting or, a, you know, or Chernobyl after the meltdown yeah. to do the work they had to do? So, you know, there's a lot to be learned from it for other instances of domestic terrorism. And I think the way you learn it is by telling the story in all its excruciating detail. Um, Did you, were you watching? I mean, did you watch that four hours? Yeah. uh, Yes. I couldn't, um, I couldn't, uh, I was, I think I was, oh yes, that's right. I was doing a Trump cast with Jay Rosen, Mm -hmm. the the kind of media expert. And we, he came on and I said, are we going to do this, you know, or do we have to do, you know, do we need to be present to this other thing? And he said, he's very low key. And he said, I think we should do it. So we did it. And, um, and then went back to, I went back and then, and then watched as much of the footage as I could just parse what's happening? Are they really crushing cops? They love cops. And who are these people? And, you know, just understanding 
so many of them are women, just like looking into the faces, looking at the costumes, you know, trying to, what is this? Where does it fit in my idea of the Bastille or Fort Sumter or, you know, and yeah. what is like, until you describe it, what's the re response? You know, if it's a kind of protest that got out of hand, it's one yeah. thing. If it's a um, suicide mission, you know, they, they, the, the, the rioters lost, lost a few of their own in it. If it's a, uh, if it's a, if it's a, you know, occupy the capital, is that a, a, an act of war, you know? And so I think all of our nervous systems and vocabulary and history and whatever had to sort of put it into some kind of place. I, I really want the commission. I love the, I love your, the op-ed. And I wonder though, why stop with that day? I feel mm. like we need that commission for every single wow. day going back to a year ago. And, and I wonder, and it sounds like an impossible labor. And yet I feel like, well, it's been an impossible time. Mm -hmm. How are yeah. we ever going to make sense? I want that same thing you're calling for, but I want it for April 5th and I want it for November 1st. And I want it for every single day, the timeline, the depth, yeah. back to what we were talking earlier about the importance of you know, the obituary and the reading, the names and the saying of the stories. Yeah. We need all of it. I mean, for coronavirus, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a, a really amazing idea. There, there were some people, you know, n never Trumpers who wanted a, a commission about the 2016 election. And the reason for a commission, and of course, prosecutions also in this case, and they have imprisoned more than 100 people, arrested more than 100 people, and there's hundreds more FBI cases open on uh, on one six. But um, but it, you things that are meant to tilt into prosecutions. You know, you hire Robert Mueller, and it's meant to end in prosecutions. You don't hire a prosecutor not to do that. And the adversarial system is a wonderful way at arriving at a certain kind of truth. But another way is scientific method, as you say that you know you've said this, which is we have a metaphor set that is very available to us. It's medicine, it's care, it's science, and um, and instead of thinking of the um, instead of thinking of the pandemic as a case of individual failures by kind of criminals and felons, which is possibly one way to look at some of this, but to just look at it as something we need to understand the science of so it doesn't happen this way again. You know, just that. Not so that we can see Trump's head on a pike, you know, although, you know, lots of us want that, but so that we can, uh, you know, and so that we can share data with other countries making these same kind of calculations. Um, and other countries with despots who failed in the same way we did, like Brazil. Um, and um, you know that that's what these never Trumpers wanted from a commission, which is what can we share with Estonia or France or other countries in which elections are interfered with um, by the Kremlin and 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 other uh, you know military intelligence. What can we learn? And that thing that we learned is not about getting Roger Stone in jail but all kinds of things to do with election security and I with do. the information system that could be of use. I think that's the other part of this that maybe is, is one of the keys to repair yeah. from this era, um, which is to say, you know, you take the insanity of what happened at the Capitol and actually let's just look at it forensically. 
like yeah. we're gonna let we have to do that. And yes, the gestures, I mean, it's a way to sort of take the gestures and the things that I felt like what we were talking about earlier about language. We've had to use the language because we've been using it to describe the phenomenon that's in front of us, which is yeah. Trump and Trumpism. But now let's take the time to go and put those things all in context. And I believe, of course, I believe this, you know, it's, this is kind of the, what we're trying to do with this podcast, but mm -hmm. I, leave the, I believe there's a power in that meta, in that analysis. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. give up on it. And that's why, again, I love your idea of the January 6th as a place to start. Yeah, because right, you have it contained in a day, you know, yeah, what happened totally. when they planned the day and then what happened when they got up in the morning, um, what what were the failures of the Capitol Police, the National Guard, what, you know, well, Pence. The 9 11 yeah. Commission report is like that. And, and you know, uh, one of the really, I always thought powerful things about the commission, the 9 11 Commission report, it's not perfect, but I mean, you start the morning with the terrorists. I mean, basically down to the level of what you know. What did people eat for breakfast? I mean, it's like what was the what was the what was the cloud structure like? What was the temperature? Yeah. I mean, we need all that. And you know, I'm I'm thinking right now, and maybe we're coming up with a project, but um, a coronavirus commission, um, you know, with you would be just would just be incredibly satisfying and. There is, you know, I can think of people, and I'm sure you can think of so many people, Lori Garrett, I think sometimes of Bandy Lee, who's done, you know, mm -hmm. just the research on the on the kind of um, psychosis or it, mental incompetence of Trump is is really amazing and detailed. And and put together something like this. And by the way, you can recoup the costs because the 9-11 uh, report and the Mueller report were number one bestsellers. Yeah, I mean, huge bestsellers, right? That's and that is part of healing. So it's sure. uh, you know it could be service a bestseller and you know a way there you to go. there you go. To um, we're we're coming up on time. I've overstayed uh, my welcome with your time. I'm afraid, but I so much enjoy talking with you. I do want to um, ask though, now that you have been doing the Trump cast, and you've got I think one more. Yeah, one, we're one more coda. We had. Um, uh, we had Ibram Kendi on um, yesterday, right. um, who you know the author of How to um, How to Be an Anti Racist, and he is very very interesting on are things getting better or worse, you know? So sometimes a little bit like you're saying, well, we're just papering over the problems of kind of neoliberalism. Like I mean, the neoliberalism is now back in place, but maybe that will it, you know just conceal the real problems. Um, in this country that need to be treated with more radicalism. And what he says is they're getting better and worse at once. And that is a very interesting part of American history is that racial progress, where racial progress is a proxy for all progress, racial progress and racism grow in tandem. Um, and, uh, and I thought that was a great way to wrap the show. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but that was yesterday. Um, and then the, there'll be a final small coda and then what's next is unclear. And I think it's taking lots of deep sighs of relief that Trump and Trumpcast are, you know, are, are, are no longer ascendant, that they're over. And also, um, I'm just talking to a lot of a huge number of interesting people about projects, maybe on culture, on, you know, on the things I'm actually trained in, you know, that will cool off the nervous system. You know, I think we've been kind of culturally underserved in this like highly political time. Right. And uh, and if politics are downstream from culture, 
I think we should drink from the upstream water, <laughs> right? Instead I, of the dirty downstream. I have mixed. I have a mixed reaction to what you just said because I'm obviously. I want you to do the work that you want to do. But on the other hand, you've been such a crucial Trump whisperer for everybody in these times, knowing who to have on to talk to, knowing how to ask the right questions, knowing how to turn that into the other writing that you've done. Mm -hmm. And it is a very highly specialized skill set. People who pay attention like you do, not just to policy and the politics and the stuff you can get by reading, you know, reading closely and but really to listen to what a politician or a cultural figure says, or a politician who becomes culture. Yeah, yeah. what he says. And it's surprising, I think, to me, how quickly people lose that facility, or how little they pay attention. It just becomes background. Yeah. We need your skill set in that regard. But we got to give you some time off. I get it. Yeah. I, I, I... I don't think the lessons, and that's what I mean about the cult culture, you know, cults that were culturally underserved, is that that I think was a problem before Trump. That you know, it, there was some time when there was a map of the U.S. to see what people in what states list, watch on television, and there was a lot of pre pre premium TV on in in some of the blue states, and but it was all different, and uh, some network TV, but in the uh, in, and this is fiction TV, and in but in the red states they only had Duck Dynasty. You know, there's no like and 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 I, like the reemergence of the Hallmark Channel as a touchstone. You know, as a slow return to something that just cools off the nervous system. You know, and in you know it's like Biden. He's just like chicken soup. You know, just <laughs> like saying just sweetheart things quoting from bullseye poetry, you know, making us understand the national anthem again, Hallmark, Hallmark. And, you know, we really, really, really need that um, because, because they were underserved people in red states. And I'm not, this is not to be sympathetic, but just to be descriptive, turn to the porn and snuff of Fox News, hyper-stimulating, you know, leggy hosts and, uh, and bursting with rage, you know, Sean Hannity. And, uh, you know, that's very dramatic, but it doesn't um, do what art should do, you know, doesn't do what culture should do. And will will the the next act for Trump, do you think itself be some sort of form of art? Will will he take this to a, to a new level, try to create a new political party, which will become, will be a shell corporation? Or is he going to go back on TV with a apprentice too? I mean, does, you know, art, I don't know the right way to say this, but you know, art becomes politics, becomes art again somehow because he is I think truly a core out. an actor. I think he ground out. We had a lot of him. I think the yeah. show is canceled. The show's canceled. I, I think the show's canceled. I also think he's got a lot on his hands with prosecutions um yeah. of himself and family in the States and also uh he's got some debt at Deutsche Bank, but I understand they might be in the mood for some asset seizure. Um, and uh, that can get in the in the way of a showbiz career. His creative time understand. might be a little limited in these next. <laughs> exactly, it might not be the time to try to convince uh, NBC to take him back. Well, I want to thank you, Virginia, for taking time to talk to us. Um, and you know, the pandemic this this COVID calls is is about the pandemic, and uh, we're moving into another phase 
of that. So I hope we can, as the as we get into the spring, get you back another time. Um, you know, these conversations are mapping out um, the sort of different phases that we're in with the pandemic. And I feel like you're just one of the essential people to help us make sense of it. So thanks a million for your time today. Scott, I feel the same way that you are, you're the, the pandemic whisperer and, um, and you know, the, in this way, this show is something of a commission itself. Um, so thank you so much for your service. Um, and it's good to see you again. Stay healthy, everybody. You can catch COVID calls every weekday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, except tomorrow when we will not be on, but catch us again on Monday. And I'll put up on Twitter all the details for that. We're going to be continuing our congressional discussions as we go into next week as well. So please do join us on COVID calls for that. And please do catch um, Virginia Heffernan's LA Times columns, her Wired columns, and her um, Trump cast, which will have its CODA episode, as she said, dropping on Slate next week. Stay healthy, everybody. We'll see you on Monday, 5 o'clock.